Good morning. It's Thursday, the 18th of January, and this is Govind Rajathi Raj, based in Mumbai, India's financial capital, and presently in transit. Our top stories and themes for the day: Indian stock markets track global queues, crack 1,600 points. Sensex heavy HDFC Bank leads the index and market fall. India diversifies crude sources on increasing uncertainty. Now buys from 37 countries from 29 earlier. And a 40-year study shows how monsoon intensity is increasing, rising in some places, falling in others. This is a core report with Govind Raj Athiraj. The markets take a solid knock. Occasionally, the markets land a punch in the solar plexus, if you know where that is, or at least that's the feeling that people are left with. particularly if you're used to a mostly one way direction in stock prices which is obviously up and off late the global context is important as it always is but let's go over what happened in india on this somewhat fateful wednesday the 30 stock sensex fell 1628 points to close at 71500 while the broader nifty 50 fell 460 points to end at 21572 so this roughly 2% fall give or take is the worst single day fall in the sensex in percentage term in the last 18 months so the hero or the villain of the day was hdfc bank whose results sounded good from a sheer banking sector point of view but way below what the street was expecting or wanting hdfc fell 8.5% and dragging the sensex down as well but of course you could argue the other way too now this was hdfc's biggest fall in some 4 years so it gives you a sense of the intensity of the selling i will come back to hdfc but let's look at what happened worldwide and internationally which in some ways is more important here basically it is looking like the interest rate cuts that everyone was expecting in march may not happen in march which means that the liquidity flows that one could have anticipated or have assumed would get delayed further or put it the other way around money would go back if the interests are high or the interest rates are high and people find that more lucrative Reuters quoted a senior analyst saying that central bankers whether from the Federal Reserve or the European Central Bank are saying it's premature to talk about rate cuts just yet. Bloomberg reported that the European Central Bank president Christine Lagarde and governing council member Klaus Knott warned on Wednesday that aggressive bets on interest rate cuts aren't helping policymakers in the battle to subdue inflation. That followed comments on Tuesday from the Federal Reserve governor Christopher Waller who urged caution on the pace of easing according to bloomberg once again so the likelihood of a fed rate cut in march is now down to 65% according to the cme fed watch tool as compared to 81% did you ask when that 81% was well that was at the start of this week so this single action or inaction is evidently causing turmoil in the global markets and india is not far behind this also tells you something about the continued importance of global capital flows and their ability to determine direction at times like this despite the strong domestic flows that we in india have been seeing and of course talking about the other factor that the markets were obviously focused on was china and the fact that its economic growth is not coming in as strong as anticipated china's economy grew 5.2% in 2023 slightly more than the official target but the recovery was apparently shaky and analysts feel this shakiness will carry over to 2024 and the dollar has strengthened as well to a one year high leaving at 83 rupees 14 paise for the day against the rupee essentially throwing out of the window at least for now all the discussions we were having in the last few days on how the rupee would appreciate if only allowed to after it crossed into that 82 rupee territory that is 
The other factor in Indian markets that is at play is valuations. Of course, there are times when the large investment banks may just whisper that valuations seem high. Other times, they pretty much shout it out from the rooftops. More on valuations in a moment. Interestingly, in the UK, price increases accelerated unexpectedly for the first time in 10 months, causing the markets to scale back expectations for rate cuts from the Bank of England this year. So here's another reason why bank rate cuts look a little far away. Now let's come to HDFC. HDFC Bank accounted for nearly 60% of the benchmark BSE Sensex 1,628-point decline on Wednesday, which also dragged the BSE Bank X index 4% lower. So the decline comes as retail deposits during the October to December quarter only grew about 3% quarter on quarter at 53,000 crores, while total deposits grew only about one9 or 2%. So the question now is, what does this mean? I mean, there are more details to these numbers, but I find it a little confusing and particularly to read them out. So I reached out to Avinash Gurakshakar, head of research at Profit Mart Securities, and I began by asking him, of course, two things. One is what happened to the markets and what was driving or what drove this sudden fall or extended fall? And was it too stretched to start with? And then, of course, HDFC Bank. There are multiple factors which resulted in the fall today. First, we saw that the US Fed actually commented that interest cuts may not happen very soon. Everybody was expecting that from March, the first rate cut will happen. But I think clearly the markets got a hint that possibly we could have to wait for another, say, two to three months. The market started with a negative kind of headwind from the US markets because yesterday night, Dow had closed down in the negative territory because of this development. And the second important trigger point for the fall today was largely because of the SDFC bank results. I think what the market did not like and where I think the point of concern was was on the deposit growth rates. I think clearly it is seen that it is not only SDFC bank's problem. Almost all the banks, the deposit growth rate has slowed down significantly. And going ahead now, it would be a deposit kind of war. Banks would battle for deposits and that is definitely going to eat into the margins. So I think that is something which, you know, obviously upsetted the momentum for the bank Nifty. We saw almost all the private sector banks, including HDFC Bank. Of course, HDFC Bank, uh, you know, was down by almost 8 to 9%. But interestingly, you know, what data we have got now at the end of the trading session shows that 62% delivery has happened. So I think, you know, clearly there have been some buyers who have purchased the stock at these levels. And my sense is that other point where the market was little shaky was because, you know, the valuations had also become very frothy. A lot of big money had come in and short-term, you know, upsides had already happened. If you look at the frontline IPOs, the SME IPOs, the way the market valuations had gone up, I think the correction was warranted and this was only a trigger point. So my sense is that maybe tomorrow when the trading again recommences, I would not be surprised that we could see a reasonably good bounce back because clearly the markets have discounted, you know, the worst scenario. I don't think it's going to happen that we may see another 1500 point profit. Right. And you mean trading resumes on Thursday. So why is deposit growth at the level that the market is expecting so critical? Also, you know, the profit was up 34%. Does this slowing down of deposit growth mean that the bank or a bank will not be able to maintain that kind of profit growth? No, I think, see, SGFC Bank has always been a market leader in the private banking space. And if they are now saying that the cost-to-income ratio is going to get elevated. They actually mentioned this in their summary of the results, that going forward, the cost-to-income could get elevated because of the deposit growth slowdown and obviously accessing deposits at a higher you know, interest rate kind of structure. 
But I think this was one thing which the markets did not like. And I think clearly the entire banking system, if you ask me, in the last say 12 to 18 months has benefited from low interest rates. So, you know, if deposits go up, obviously it's going to mean a little compression in their margins, in their net interest margins. On the asset quality side or on the loan disbursement side, there is absolutely no fear. But I think on the deposit side, I think that is the key issue which I think has troubled the market. So I think, you know, profitability this time has been good. But I think what the market is thinking is that maybe the next couple of quarters could be quite challenging for HDFC Bank if the deposit growth rate slows down and they'll have to, you know, access deposits at a higher growth rate, which will obviously compress their profitability. You mean at a higher interest rate? So they'll have to pay more to people like you and me to put money into the bank? Exactly. And I think, see, the CASA has already reached a level at which incremental upside, you know, for a bank like HDFC Bank it's difficult to believe that beyond 50%, you know, the CASA could increase significantly. You know, banks which have got 20%, 30% or 40% CASA. Explain CASA, Avinash, very quickly. CASA stands for Current Account Savings Account. You know, this is the money which is given by the retail depositor and which he keeps in the bank. And this is low-cost money, which the bank uses for basically funding long-term projects and long-term expansion of corporates. Many people have been talking about valuations, as you just did, being a little stretched. I think some people are careful about saying it. Some people are more maybe direct about it. What's your sense then going forward in the next few months? Yeah, I think my guess is that, you know, markets have now reached a stage of exuberance and some sort of euphoria. A clear indication is the amount of money which we see in all these SME IPOs. You know, oversubscriptions have been to the level of 500 times, 1000 times. Secondly, the way the markets are responding now, you know, just to tell you, Today, everybody has become a stock analyst and I think there is a stock idea with everything. So, you know, the point is at this point of time, there are definitely going to be excesses in the markets and this is exactly what has happened. So, I think, you know, today's correction is a welcome sign. I think valuations have become frothy. My sense is that, you know, the markets could possibly look at some further valuation, uh, you know, uh, downgrades because at the end of the day, the risk reward, you know, three, four months back and today, there's a sea change. And I think finally, you cannot ignore valuations if you want to make money in the market. So I think valuations will correct. I think you will see some sort of selling and some sort of resistance by investors. At these levels, I would suggest that it's always better to stay put and look out for opportunities only when the market gives you a decent correction. Avinash, thank you so much for joining me. Okay. And the great valuation conundrum. All institutional investors concur the Indian markets have considerable tailwind and attributed to larger factors like multi-decadal growth story, bottom-up performance, political continuity and so on. All true. But usually there's a point when things become expensive where every story gets re-evaluated. Something like, why would you pay 10 rupees if all your models or modeling are telling you that it's worth 5 rupees or 6 rupees at best? And if you buy in at 10 rupees, then what are your exit chances looking like or at what price? Remember that last year, or rather the last year, has been heady. The Nifty 50 was up 22%, the mid-cap index 53%, Nifty small cap 61%. Business Standard quotes Kotak Institutional Equity saying the market may find comfort in incremental developments and ignore rich valuations across sectors and stocks for the time being, but this may lead to bigger issues eventually. Do note the delicate acknowledgement of the term rich valuation. So Kotak is saying that if they are not sure if an incremental strategy can generate excess returns over long periods, given likely wrong timing, which is too late at most times, of both entry and exit from sectors as well as stocks. So they suggest that more money can be made from a theme when it is still undiscovered. For example, housing in 2021 versus right now when a lot of positives in the housing cycle are largely priced in and performance is now 
matching the market. Of course, to find a sector like housing would obviously need some level of skill and talent, which I'm assuming most of us don't have, and people like Kotak do. So Kotak does believe that large cap consumption stocks are trading at expensive valuations with discretionary stocks at super rich valuations. Most mid-cap consumption stocks are trading at expensive valuations, while investment stocks are trading at extremely rich valuations, Kotak said. Of course, many may disagree with Kotak, but I don't see that happening that easily. Or at least I don't see this becoming a public spat, so to speak. The state bank backs a clamp down on unhealthy loan growth. India's recent clampdown on unsecured loans is the right move to curtail unhealthy growth in borrowing by individuals, according to the chairman of State Bank of India, India's largest bank, referring specifically to a strong expansion of retail loans at about 30% annually and that it was a sign of heating up. State Bank of India's Dinesh Khara was speaking to Bloomberg Television in an interview in Davos on Tuesday. Indian banks have been reporting good numbers, as we've been talking about, thanks to an increase in demand for credit and, of course, lower bad loans. But this has increased the mostly cautious Reserve Bank's concerns over a potential build-up of risk in the system. The Reserve Bank of India has already asked banks to increase buffers for some consumer loans in November. Mr. Khara said that he was sure it would go a long way in terms of bringing orderliness and ensure that growth would remain healthy. And retail credit expansion of about 14-15% to would be ideal or good growth, he said. While the banks are confident that their unsecured loan books are of high quality and low risk, they are now or beginning to now go slow, more so after the Reserve Bank sounding those alarm bells. India is diversifying its crude sources. And now our energy segment supported by India Energy Week. India is diversifying its crude sources even as it accelerates its energy transition, Oil Minister Hardeep Singh Puri told Reuters in an interview in Davos. India is now buying oil from 37 countries, up from 29 earlier. The reason for those diversifications include supply cuts by the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, or OPEC+, costly shipments from some traditional Middle East suppliers, and of course geopolitical tensions including the attacks on merchant ships by Houthi rebels on the Red Sea en route to the Suez Canal. India is the world's third largest oil importer. Mr. Puri said that while OPEC plus nations have a right to decide on their energy production, supply cuts against such uncertainty and the resulting adverse impact on global oil prices will dent long-term demand. Saudi Aramco, for example, the Saudi giant, this month cut the price of its flagship Arab light crew to Asian customers to the lowest level in 27 months, said Reuters. Iraq replaced Saudi Arabia as the top supplier to India a few years ago, and now cheaper supply from Russia, thanks to Western sanctions, has pushed it to the top spot, followed again by Iraq and Saudi Arabia. So India's top suppliers are now Russia, Iraq and Saudi Arabia. Mr. Puri also said he had signed a memorandum of understanding with Guyana to cooperate across the entire energy value chain of that South American country. He also pointed out that many countries, including in the Middle East, had told him that they wanted to acquire Indian oil companies outright, but he pointed out or he responded that they are strategic and not for sale. Meanwhile, crude oil was quoting a shade under $77 a barrel overnight. The energy segment on the core report was supported by India Energy Week. More details on www.indiaenergyweek.com. The event happens next month. Monsoon rainfall is rising in some places, falling elsewhere. 
An interesting study just out from the Center for Energy, Environment and Water says that monsoon rainfall increased in 55% of Indian tehsils in the last 10 years amidst climate change. Interestingly, rainfall is rising in places perhaps it never did and that also offers an opportunity of sorts. Drier areas of Rajasthan, Gujarat, Central Maharashtra have seen a significant increase in rainfall in the last 10 years, while 11% tehsils saw a decrease and these are located in the rain-fed Indo-Gangetic Plain, Northeast India and the Upper Himalayan region. The CEEW study called Decoding India's Changing Monsoon Patterns is apparently a first-of-its-kind granular analysis of rainfall in more than 4,500 tehsils across India spanning 40 years and it finds fast-shifting and erratic monsoon patterns in the last decade. The study says that all of this can be attributed to the accelerating rate of climate change. Moreover, the study finds that the increased rainfall in these tehsils is frequently coming from short-duration, heavy rainfall, also often leading to flash floods. As 2023 was declared the hottest year on record globally and 2024 is expected to continue that trend, the impact of climate crisis will be seen in the form of increased extreme weather events, something that affects a lot of industries and business as well. I reached out to Dr. Vishwas Chitale, Senior Program Lead at CEEW, and I began by asking him how we should be interpreting this data at this point. There are various reasons, but what our study provides is that granularity of understanding and analysis at sub-district level or at tehsil level. So if it's a normal year, or above normal or below normal rainfall that we see, which is reported by IMD every year, we provide a bit more insight from tehsil level analysis that whether it is really normal or there is a bit of increase in the rainfall, if that is an increase, whether there is an increase in the extreme events in that duration. So all of that is really a new for this kind of analysis. Right. And if you were to visualize a map of India, Vishwas, so can you tell me what is happening in this year or last year versus, let's say, many years earlier? See, I mean, we are seeing more and more impacts due to climate change. Uh, also, this year has been an El Nino year, which you might be also aware of. During such years, we generally see uh, erratic patterns of rainfall. Uh, but uh, what happens is, I mean, what we have seen in our analysis is during last one decade, there has been an increase uh, by, say, uh, in 55% of Indian tehsils, there, there has been an increase in monsoon rainfall. But this increase is not consistent because there has been also an increase in the number of extreme heavy rainfall days per year. And if you see a picture of India, uh, we see that across different geographies, uh, like say dry regions of Rajasthan, Gujarat, which have been known to be dry for a very long period of time now, uh, are seeing increase during the monsoon rainfall. Also, there has been a lot of change in the northeast rainfall, northeast monsoon rainfall as well. Broadly, you're saying dry areas are getting more rain and traditionally wet areas are getting more erratic rain. Would that be correct? Correct, yes. Okay. And what's the, I mean, I know that you're not a, you're not focusing on the agriculture side of it, but obviously that's what at least someone like us is trying to look at. What's your sense on the impact of uh, all of this? I think in our way forward section of our study, I mean, this is going to impact all different sectors. And when we talk about a subnational level action plan on climate change, like a state action plan on climate change, which almost all the states and union territories are revising for the duration up to 2030, if we look at agriculture as a sector, I think we are going to need much more granularity in terms of understanding this impact at the ground level 
across different crops, across different geographies. And we feel that there could be a need to adopt a new cropping calendar in order to adapt to this new evolving conditions where we have seen extended rainfall also going a bit more in the October rainfall. Also, there is a new potential of rainfall available for areas like Rajasthan and Gujarat, which have not been tapped into in the past. So a bit of new thinking has to come into picture when we talk about agriculture sector as a whole. So some of this is an opportunity as well. That's true. For dry areas especially, which have not been tapped yet, I think we should really look into what are the opportunities, even for energy sector. When we talk about clean energy sector, I think there is a huge potential for that factor as well. So we really have to understand what has happened at the local scale, understand these changes, and then decision makers should really build on to that knowledge in order to adapt to this new and evolving trends of climate across different sectors. Right. Vishwas, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. On that note, that climate change is upon us and we should be, wherever we are, responding to these trends more holistically, including, of course, studying that data. That's it from me. Have a great day ahead. That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopsis or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening. <laughs>